during these days, we are truly facing some challenging times, not only in our city and in our country, but around the world. For those of you watching who are not from San Antonio, just this week, our mayor wisely issued a shelter-in-place order, basically asking all of us to stay home, if at all possible, and to work from home, if at all possible. My daughter, Anna, uh, lives in Los Angeles, and they've been under a similar order for a little over a week now, and they're expecting to be under it for perhaps as long as a month. These are truly challenging times. During my lifetime, I've never experienced anything like this in my country where so many people have been impacted in so many different ways. But you know, believers and followers of Jesus throughout the centuries have faced similar crises and challenges, and they've left a great legacy and example for us to follow. They rose up in the face of adversity. They faced things like famines, they faced wars, they faced pestilence and plagues, and they even faced persecution. But when they faced adversity, they did not shrink back. They rose up and they became the hands and feet of Jesus, loving their neighbors through critical times like these. And I believe it's important for all followers of Jesus during these days to do likewise. Likewise, it's time for us to rise up and not shrink back. And yet, I do want to acknowledge, I know that many of us are struggling. Some of us are struggling with health fears because of the pandemic. Some of us are struggling with economic and employment fears because of the financial fallout of the coronavirus. Some of us are possibly experiencing relational uh, issues and challenges because relational issues can get intensified during uh, crises like this. And then if we could be honest, if I could be honest, some of us may be even having faith issues, wrestling with a God who would allow a virus like this to exist and to spread among us. Well, today I want us to look at the example of those believers in the first century and believers in other centuries and how they faced hard times, how they faced adversity. I believe that their example will inspire us and give us courage and faith as we face the troubled times that we are facing today together. Now, the first example I want us to look at goes all the way back to the first century, the very first believers in the beginning of the church movement. So let me, let me set the stage. Uh, at this time, uh, people from all over the world, many different nations, literally thousands of people would travel to the great ancient city of Jerusalem. They gathered at this time for, uh, to celebrate the festival of Pentecost. And so they would have come for about a week or two to celebrate this great festival. Well, when they arrived, Peter and the early leaders of the church movement told them the story about Jesus, the miracles that he did his death on our behalf for our forgiveness and his powerful resurrection. And they offered forgiveness in Jesus' name. And thousands of those people from all over the world believed in Jesus. But then a situation arose. Most of those people who came, they only brought enough provisions for just a few weeks, but they wanted to stay in Jerusalem so they could learn more about Jesus and his teachings and his way of life. And so they eventually ran out of much needed provisions. They ran out of food. They ran out of money to uh, cover places to stay. And they ran out of other necessities. 
And I want us to notice how the first followers of Jesus in the great city of Jerusalem rose up to the challenge. This is recorded in Acts chapter four, verse 32. The scripture says, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. In other words, those followers of Jesus in the, the great city of Jerusalem rose up to the challenge. They did not shrink back. They rose up and they shared everything they had. They, they did not consider that their possessions were their own. They viewed their own possessions as something that could be used to serve others. So they didn't hoard what they had. They helped with what they had. And they shared with those who were in need. And what I think is amazing is because they did not let fear drive them to hoard, but they let faith drive them to give. This is so powerful. There were no needy persons among them. Can you imagine that? Can you believe that? With the need so great, there were no needy persons among them. That is how followers of Jesus rise up. Now, we hope and we pray that like that situation, which if you think about it, it was a temporary situation. We do hope and pray that our situation is a temporary situation. And I think what was important in their uh, example is that those who had means had a certain mindset. They viewed that whatever they had that could be used for the good of Jesus' movement, they would use it for the good of Jesus' movement. They were willing to share with those in need. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. Instead, they shared everything they had. And during this season of challenge, during this season of crisis, I do want to speak to those of us who have means. I consider myself one of them. I'm, I'm very fortunate. Those of us who have means, it's important during times like this for us to rise up, for us to be willing to give to share with those who may be in need during these critical moments. I think that's how we rise up and we express God's love among us during times like this. I'm asking you to give even more generously so that we as a church can take care of our social action partners who may be in need during this crisis and so that we can take care of people in our community and in our city who may come into need. Now, last week I mentioned to you that uh, one of the things that we've already done as a church is we sent $1,500 above the $4,500 that we normally send to our orphanage that we support in Chihuahua, Mexico. They had a need uh, because their campus had to be quarantined because some of the children had flu symptoms. And so we sent them extra money so they could get medications and supply needs to uh, clean and to sterilize their property. 
If you also remember, I let you know about some very tangible needs for the Strong Foundation Homeless Shelter that serves homeless families right here in San Antonio. I didn't ask for money. I didn't uh, send them money. They didn't ask for money. What they asked for were certain supplies. And so I let you know about those supplies. And I'm so proud of you guys for the way that you rose up and uh, you brought donations. And so I've got just a, a list of what you guys brought uh, when I let you know of the needs. You guys brought four containers of disinfectant spray. You brought seven bottles of disinfectant wipes, 1,250 diapers, 2,700 packs of baby wipes, three containers of hand sanitizer, 39 rolls of paper towels, and 69 rolls of toilet paper. I just want to thank you for your generosity. I want to say to you, well done. That is what we're supposed to do in times like this is to rise up and to take from what we have and not hoard it, but help others with what we have. That is how followers of Jesus rise up. And we at City Church, our staff, we will let you know in the coming days and coming weeks of other needs as they arise so that you'll have an opportunity to help us meet those needs. Now, the second example that I want us to look at in the first century occurred because of persecution of the Christians in the first century. Those same believers who had gathered there in Jerusalem and were learning and growing in their faith in Jesus because of persecution, they had to scatter throughout Judea and Galilee. And to those scattered believers, one of the great leaders in the first church, which was Jesus' half-brother named James, uh, he became a leader in the church and he wrote a message, uh, a, a letter to those scattered believers. In fact, we're going to be studying that letter in a few weeks. And in that letter, he gave them instruction about a key aspect of his half-brother's movement. And this is what he said. This is James chapter 1, verse 27. He said this, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this to look after orphans and widows in their distress, to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. In other words, James called for those who are reading this letter, he called for those believers, those followers of Jesus, to rise up and take care of the most vulnerable in their culture. And that is just what they did. We have historical stories of how the early believers throughout those first few centuries rose up to take care of the most vulnerable in their cultures. In fact, these first believers, they rose up and took care of orphans and rescuing them from inevitable slavery. They took care of widows and rescuing them from inevitable poverty or prostitution. And they took care of unwanted babies, rescuing them from inevitable death. Now, I want to explain that last one for just a moment. You see, in the first century, in the Roman Empire, parents were allowed to abandon their babies. The practice was called exposure. And so if a couple did not want a baby that they had, they would just go and leave the baby at the edge of a river, at the edge of a forest, or outside the walls of their city. And they would do so for various reasons. Sometimes they did so for economic reasons. Sometimes they did so because there were birth defects. Sometimes they did so because of suspected adultery, and then sometimes they did so, they practiced exposure uh, because of gender preferences. And their way of thinking was this. It wasn't considered technically murder because they didn't actually take the life of the child. 
technically the child had a chance of surviving in their way of thinking. Just let fate determine what happened to them. Well, the first believers did not believe in this practice and they stood against exposure, but they didn't just wait around and hope that things would get better. They rose up. It's amazing. The first believers organized themselves and systematically went to the places where uh, Roman couples would leave their babies and abandon them. And they would pick up those children. And it's amazing. They would take those children home and raise them as their own. What an amazing example. Why would they do it? Why would they risk it? I mean, homes were small back then. Food was scarce and expensive. And honestly, babies died all the time. And on top of it all, they were rescuing Roman babies. And the Romans were persecuting Christians. Why would Christians rescue Roman babies? Because they believed love required it. They believed that's what Jesus would do if he was here. So they rescued those babies and they raised them as their own because they believed that's what love demanded. What an amazing example that they have left for us. They rescued unwanted babies. They rescued widows. They rescued the handicapped. They rescued the marginalized. And after decade and decade of seeing how Christians lived out their faith, even unbelievers, even skeptics, even their enemies were overwhelmed by the example of their love. And many of those who are skeptic, skeptical and many of those who are unbelievers came to believe in Jesus because of their heroic example of love and selfless sacrifice to meet the needs of the most unwanted, most vulnerable people in their culture. That is how followers of Jesus rise up. So who are the abandoned babies of our culture? Who are the marginalized, the vulnerable in our city and in our society? Who are the people that need for us to rise up and show God's love to them? Imagine, imagine what would happen if people among us who were skeptical of our faith became jealous of our love and were attracted to Jesus because of our love. That is how followers of Jesus rise up. And that is what I'm calling us to do. Now, the next example I want us to look at comes from one of the leaders of the early church. And in one of his letters that he wrote, he, he reveals a certain kind of mindset. And I think this mindset, this way of thinking shows why these believers did such heroic things in, in uh, facing adversity and in reaching out to help those in need. And so what we learn from this key leader of the church, his name's the Apostle Paul, is a certain mindset. And it shows how he lived with purpose, even when he faced adversity, especially when he faced adversity. He chose to live with purpose. And so the, the letter we're going to look at uh, in just a moment, Paul wrote while he was literally in chains, in prison for his faith. And yet while he was in chains, he wrote these words, these words that reveal purpose. Uh, Philippians chapter one, verse 12. 
Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard, which, which the palace guard are the ones who uh, were in the, the Roman emperor's guard. It's become clear through the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. I know I am put here. He's talking about his purpose. I know I am put here for the defense of the gospel. I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. Okay, I want us to get what Paul is saying here. Now, now think about it. In essence, Paul is under a shelter-in-place kind of situation. I mean, he was literally in prison, but he couldn't get out. He couldn't go anywhere. But you know what? Even in the face of that adversity, even in the face of those challenging times, he continued to live his purpose. He knew why he was here. And he continued living his purpose, not only by witnessing to those who came around him such that the, the testimony about Jesus was reaching into the palace guard, but he was also writing letters to Christian leaders and to churches throughout the Roman Empire, continuing to fulfill his purpose in life. And because of that, because he continued to live his purpose in the face of adversity, I hope you notice he said, I rejoice. He felt joy. I believe you can feel joy in challenging times, in adverse times, when you choose to continue living your purpose like Paul did. That is how Paul rose up. And as your pastor, this is what I'm asking you to do. I am asking you to rise up and live your purpose, even during these times. I'm asking you to be clear about who God created you to be. So you can do what God created you to do, to live your purpose, even in times like this. And I believe if you will do that, not only will you help people who may be in need that you can uniquely help, but you'll also give a positive testimony about the followers of Jesus during times like this. This is how followers of Jesus rise up. And with these examples in mind, I want to clarify to you and with you what it does mean to rise up and what it does not mean to rise up. Rising up does not mean being foolish. It does not mean being unwise or taking unnecessary risks. It does not mean being careless with our health or ignoring the wise counsel of civic leaders, especially when we're facing a pandemic. And I think we can look again to the example of followers of Jesus who have gone before us, who faced uh, epidemics and pandemics like this with wisdom and with faith. And so I want us to look at what happened during the 1500s when the deadly bubonic plague swept through Europe. It eventually took over half of Europe's, Europe's population. It was a brutal and deadly plague. And it came during the 1500s and there's a, a famous pastor who was ministering during those days named Martin Luther. Martin Luther lived in Germany and uh, he was a, a Catholic monk who had like a spiritual awakening and led a renewal of the Christian faith that literally changed the face of the church movement. Well, anyway, eventually the bubonic plague reached his hometown of Wittenberg, Germany. And in a letter to one of his friends, he detailed 
how he was going to respond with both wisdom and with faith to this a pandemic of his day. These are his words written in the letter to his friend. Therefore, I shall ask God mercifully to protect us. Then I shall fumigate. <laughs> I will help purify the air, administer medicine, and take it myself. I shall avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed in order not to become contaminated and so I don't infect or pollute others which might cause their death as a result of my negligence. If God should wish to take me, he will surely find me. And I have done what he has expected of me, so I am not responsible for either my own death or the death of others. If my neighbor needs me, however, I shall not avoid place or person, but will go freely. See, this is such a God-fearing faith because it is neither brash nor foolish, nor does it tempt God. You know, I think Martin Luther's words are so full of wisdom and faith. And I hope you notice that in a, in a real way, he was uh, practicing social distancing before social distancing was even a thing. But that's not all he did. He prayed for God's protection. He believed in the power of prayer, and so do we. During these days, we ought to pray and call out to God to protect and to heal. He was also courageous enough to be willing to be available to help, but he was also wise enough not to be careless or foolish. He also was brave enough and full of faith enough to love his neighbor, love his neighbor if a need arose. And of all things, he trusted God even in these circumstances. That's how followers of Jesus rise up. Rising up does not being unwise or rebellious or taking unnecessary risks, but rising up does mean at times taking God-inspired risks to show God's love and to serve those who are in need. Now, one of the social action partners that City Church supports is called Liberia Now. Uh, Liberia Now serves the impoverished nation in Western Africa. Uh, we helped establish Liberia Now as a nonprofit organization in 2008 to bring holistic help and healing uh, to this war-torn nation uh, in Western Africa. And uh, since those days, we've taken many trips and we've provided all kinds of help in different ways. And I've mentioned those in other stories. Uh, and last week, I mentioned to you about a very desperate time in Liberia. But what I didn't tell you is about my part in that time. You see, in 2014, in the spring of 2014, I made a plan to take a small team to Liberia to accomplish two purposes, to uh, train pastors. So we were going to hold a pastor's conference. And I brought a nurse with us who was going to work with a clinic that was established uh, by the church that works with us there in Liberia. And so uh, as the time approached, the summer of 2014 came, is when the Ebola virus swept through Western Africa. And just a few days before we were getting ready to fly to Liberia, word came to us that the Ebola virus had reached some of the areas of Liberia that were near the border. And so I communicated with the team and I said, look, if you don't want to go, let's not go. Let's pray about it. We each one prayed about what we felt like God wanted us to do. And we each one felt prompted and inspired by God 
to take the risk and go anyway. And so we went. Well, by the time we got into Liberia, the Ebola virus began to spread into the more populated areas, like the areas where we would be meeting. And uh, we had the opportunity to take an earlier flight out and to leave the country before um, the virus spread much further. But the, the problem was if we did that, we would not have accomplished our purpose in the country. And so we once again gathered as a team. We prayed about it. And I'll just be honest, it was, it was a scary prayer. I don't know if you've ever prayed a scary prayer. It was a scary prayer. We were being honest about our fears and our concerns. But we each one prayed about it. We felt like, no, we felt like God called us here for a purpose, especially for such a time as this. And so we chose to say, uh, we conducted the pastor's conference and it was so good to spend time with these godly leaders and to help prepare them for the, the times that were coming, very challenging times in their, in their city and in their country. And I was so inspired by the nurse who came with us. She went to that clinic in the face of the Ebola virus coming our way. And she met with patients and served them. And a truly, truly, uh, her faith and her love was heroic. Well, a few days before we were scheduled to fly out and return home, uh, we were called to the embassy there in Monrovia, Liberia. And I gathered at the embassy with a little over 200 Americans. And we met with the ambassador who informed us that political leaders were considering closing the borders and, and shutting down the airports. And they told us that if they did that, we would all be stuck in country. And they said, if, if you're stuck, we're stuck too. We'll get, we'll get through this together. And so we just prepared ourselves. If, you know, if we got stuck, we, we made the decision to go there and we trusted God with where we were and what we had been called to do. Well, anyway, fortunately, we were able to get out of the country and just a, a week or so later, they did close the borders. They shut down the airport and unfortunately, 4,800 Liberians uh, lost their lives to the Ebola virus in a tiny nation of 4.8 million. But I can honestly say to you, I'm glad that we went. I'm glad that we stayed. I'm glad that we served and I'm glad that we loved our neighbors. And as I've reflected on that trip and why we went and what came out of it, I realized that because of what we did by going during a time like that, I have a different kind of relationship with my Liberian friends now. I find it so interesting. Now when I go to speak to uh, people who gather, when Pastor Gianfi introduces me, he doesn't introduce me as a theologian with an earned doctorate. He doesn't introduce me as a pastor of a large church in America. He introduces me as the one who came and the one who stayed when the Ebola virus came to Liberia. And I have a kind of credibility with the Liberian people now. They know that I was willing to risk my health and my life to show God's love to them and to serve them and to stand with them. It was in me to rise up. It is in you too. Now is not the time for us to shrink back. Now is the time for us to rise up. Now is not the time for us to be driven by fear. Now is the time for us to be driven by faith. 
Now is not the time to hoard what we have. Now is the time to help with what we have. Now is the time for the body of Christ to rise up to be his hands and his feet and his bank account, especially during times like these. And if we will rise up with courage and faith and appropriately when we feel God promptings to step out and to take appropriate God-inspired risks, I believe we will look back on these days and they will have been our finest hours. That is how followers of Jesus rise up. Now, as I was preparing this message, uh, I decided to reach out to one of my spiritual mentors. Uh, His name is Sammy Tippett. He's been my spiritual mentor ever since I was a student at UTSA and he was my pastor. Anyway, he is also Uh, leads a ministry that City Church supports. It's a ministry that is very focused on serving the persecuted church around the world. Uh, He he, uh, ministers to pastors and to churches and reaches out to people in places like Pakistan and Iran and China. Well, anyway, I, I asked Sammy, my friend, if he would speak a word of encouragement to us in times like this, and he said he was glad to do so. Please hear his words of encouragement to us. Hello, City Church. I just wanted to send you a message and encourage you. I know this is a difficult time for all of us. It's a time of crisis, not only in our personal lives, but in our nation and around the world. I have friends in northern Italy who are suffering greatly. I have friends in Iran uh, who are going through very difficult times. And so this is a really difficult time for all of us. One thing that the Lord has put on my heart that I'd just like to share with you briefly is, you know, 13 years ago, I was diagnosed with cancer and it was a difficult time for me. Uh, I had gone through some tough things leading up to that. And then when the diagnosis for cancer came, uh, the doctor said that I needed surgery and that uh, I would need about three months for recovery, which meant for three months, I could not travel. Well, for an evangelist who travels, that's what he does. That, that was hard for me to just stay at home, do nothing, not be able to go anywhere, and uh, not be able to minister or anything like that. But the Lord just spoke to my heart and said, Sammy, I want to show myself to you during these days. And those three months became the best three months of of my life. I'm telling you, God just met with me in in an incredible way. And not only did it become healthier physically, but spiritually also. In fact, uh, I met with the Lord. There were times just where I spent a lot of time reading the word, a lot of time with worship music, worshiping the Lord and, and, and just getting to know him. And, and I came out of that. I was different. And I can tell you that today for the past 13 years, God has just exploded our ministry. I mean, it's just been absolutely incredible. Uh, But I believe a lot of it has to do with what happened 13 years ago during that time of sickness. And it's almost like this coronavirus is a time where God has said to the whole world, just stop, stop. You know, the scripture says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted uh, among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. And so maybe this is a time for us to be still. You know, the, the worst thing for me that I think could happen out of all of this is that we go through this time, and we will get through it. <laughs> we will get through it. Uh, I, I'm, I'm certain of that. 
But we go through it, and then when we get through it, we're still the same. Or we could go through this and let God do a work in our lives. And that's my prayer for me. That's my prayer for my friends and, and our nation. And that's my prayer for City Church and for every one of you. God bless you. I'm praying for you, praying for your leadership, praying for your family. And I just want you to know that we love you and we will be lifting you up to the Lord. God bless you. I'm so grateful to Sammy for uh, speaking these words of encouragement to us. You know, when I, when I heard him speak the words, uh, I realized I needed to hear them personally. Honestly, I've been so frantically and hectically uh, trying to help our church, you know, rethink how we do church and, uh, you know, how to lead a church that is not gathered but is scattered. And I needed to be reminded that I need to stop and be still and know that he is God. Let these days be times when we do truly grow closer to God and grow in our faith, especially during times like these. So Lord God, we do put our trust in you. And during these days, uh, we will step out and rise up as appropriate needs surface. Give us courage and faith to serve uh, appropriately in, in ways that would be meaningful to those in need. And I pray, God, that we would experience you in a fresh way during these days as well. I pray that we would come out of these times with a greater faith, a stronger faith, and a more profound faith in you. In Jesus' name I pray, and I bless all who are watching. Amen and amen. God bless you.